Great. Well, church, it is so great to be with you today. Like Mike says, I was away last week. I was invited to preach at a church in the south of Joburg, and the Holy Spirit just arrived with so much power. I was so delighted. We saw people who were on crutches. They, this, this one particular lady, it was so great. So she, she was due for a knee replacement, prayed for her. All the pain went from her knee. She couldn't walk more than like 20 meters or so, and she... Um, threw her crutches to the side and walked backwards and forwards across the church. And she said this, someone tried to kind of give her crutches afterwards. I've seen this before. It's, it happens quite regularly. She was like, I don't ever want to see those things again. I don't want to know about them. She was just so delighted. And there were, there were many other people who were healed of um, certain things. Some people we prayed for that you couldn't tell immediately, but I'm hoping for a great report. Um, we saw salvations and just a really great move of God. And so I want to thank you for releasing me to do that. Um, we have something special in God, and it's worth exporting it around the nation. So thank you for that. God bless you. Lord, I just pray that as we continue today, that your kingdom would come in each heart here. Lord God, I just ask that your, your grace and your life would cause us to hear, see, and understand stand the things of the kingdom in greater measure, Lord God. Father, I ask Lord God, that we would leave here transformed by your presence, Lord. Father God, I pray we would leave here more understanding of your ways and more able to walk in them successfully. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. So we are on our series, Thrive, and today I, I felt the Lord inspire me to speak about courage. I think courage is one of the greatest things that you will ever embrace in order to thrive in life. Have you noticed that there are some hardships in life? I know you've never had them, but your neighbor has. So just will you just bear with us while we help your neighbor? But there's a story that goes like this. There was a, a man by the name of Tabo, and he was um, minding his own business. And suddenly he finds himself at the gates of heaven. He's died, and he's standing before heaven's gates. And St. Peter stands before him and says to him, well, you know what? You can come in as long as you have done a courageous deed. Can you think back over your life and think of at least one courageous deed? So Tabo looks, thinks a little bit and then he says, yes, yes, actually I can. Um, I was walking down the road in Hillbrow and suddenly I saw this gang of men um, on the corner and they were harassing this woman. And so I marched up over to them. I looked at the leader of that gang. I slapped him across the face, kicked him in the shin, and I said, you leave that woman alone. And St. Peter said, oh my word, that's fantastic. When did you do this? And he said, five minutes ago. <laughs> that didn't really happen. For all of you who are looking and saying, where's the scripture reference for this? It didn't really happen. But nonetheless, I feel, like, I feel like I want to be the kind of fearless person that would do that even in the face of danger. You know, I feel like I want to I be part of a community of people, a community of people who are, who are willing to face danger with no thought to their own well-being, but saying it's more important that God's will is done in this situation then I'm safe. Amen. And you will be safe because God will defend you and he'll protect you. I'm, I'm sure that gang um, got consequences from Jesus at the same time. 
C.S. Lewis said this incredible thing. He said that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. What did he mean by that? For those of you who don't know C.S. Lewis, I'm not just quoting random people. This is probably one of the greatest Christian minds of the previous century, just a really, really great thinker and a man very, very close to God. But what he was referring to is that Every good thing in the kingdom at some stage will be tested and it will take courage in our hearts to do the right thing. There are going to be times when you are in very unloving circumstances and it's going to take courage for you to go against the grain, go against the stream and be loving. There are going to be times when the environment is going to tell you that there is not, not enough resources and it's going to take courage in your heart in that place to be a generous person. And the list goes on. Every, every good characteristic that God is depositing in your heart will face an environment where it is tested and it will take courage in our hearts to move against the stream of the world, to stand up and be counted and say, no, I'm going to love, I'm going to give. I'm going to be honest. I am going to embrace truth. I'm going to care. I'm going to be faithful. And so one of the greatest attributes in our walk with God that we can develop is this aspect of courage. That we would be courageous people that are convinced deep in our heart of the truths of the kingdom. That we can unwaveringly stand in the face of opposition and say, here I will do what's right. Here I will do what is true. Here I will stand up for righteousness. I will stand up for the name of Jesus Christ. And if we can be that people... I'm telling you this, South Africa in our generation will bow its knee to Jesus Christ because it will demonstrate to the world that there is a God who is worth serving. Amen. So I, I want to look at a particular piece of scripture. We have kind of been examining the life of David. If you hadn't noticed, we've been we're talking a lot about David. Last week, Mike so eloquently told you about David's struggles with Bathsheba and how he messed up so much. And yet, in pursuing God, even through his weakness, he was able to fail forward. And he actually brought success out of his failure because he chose to run to God instead of away from God. We're going to examine another time in David's life. And in order to set up the story, I'm going to have to give you a little background because you won't understand it otherwise. But many of you know that David was anointed king during the reign of another king, King Saul. And this other king, King Saul, had, had been appointed by God over Israel. But he had been given an assignment. And his assignment was that he was meant to attack this particular savage nation that was um, abusing the people and just having a terrible influence over the land. He was meant to go against them and he was meant to wipe them out from the land. I know that sounds hectic, but it's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, praise the Lord, we don't kill them, we love them. But nonetheless, this was his assignment from the Lord. And he went against the nation, he duly did that. But instead of wiping them all out, he kept the plunder and he kept the king and 
we see this nation resurfacing in generations later or in years later, and so we assume that he left a significant amount of the nation there to repopulate itself. And at that time, the prophet of the Lord came to him, Prophet Samuel, and he said, because you have done this, God is removing the nation from you. And the prophet then went and anointed David as king over Israel because he said, this is a man who will do all that I wish. Of course, you can understand that Saul still wanting to be king when there's another king being anointed. You can tell there's going to be some jealous rivalry between the two of them. And so there was, and seeing as Saul had all the power at that stage, David had to flee into the wilderness and he lived as a, a refugee or an exile, really, within the wildernesses of Israel. Gathered a band, and at this stage as we take up the story, he was living in a place called Ziklag. And he was living there with a band of his men. And uh, it says that all the low down outcasts of Israel came to join him. <laughs> How would you have to like to form an army out of that? But that's what he did. That was his leadership grace. It's amazing. And in that area, there was a, another enemy of Israel. And that, those were the Philistines. And, and David living at that time living in that place, he actually aligned himself with the Philistines, but secretly, secretly. So they thought he was his, their, their friend, and secretly what he would do is he would then go out in these marauding raids into the local areas and kill all the enemy, enemies of Israel and then come back and just look very nice and smile sweetly to the king. Yes, yes, of course I'm with you. And then he would run out and kill another whole lot and come back. I know it's the Old Testament, it's crazy, but that's what it was. Bear with me, you will need all this information at some stage. And then this interesting thing happens. The Philistine king, whose name's Akish, he calls David and he said, I am I'm calling together all the Philistines of all the regions and we are going to go against Israel. We're going to destroy Israel. And seeing as you are my friend, now I want you with me. Of course, this leaves David in a great dilemma because he's not really Akish's friend and he's been killing all the enemies of Israel. And now he's being asked to go up against Israel. And it's like, oh, this is a dilemma. Luckily for him, all the other Philistine lords said to the king, no, 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 no. We don't want David with us because we're going to be in the heat of battle and he's going to turn against us. And they were right. That's what he would have done. So he said, send David back to Ziklag. Send him back to his home. So David heads back with his armies, back to his stronghold at Ziklag, and he arrives there, and lo and behold, lo and behold, the entire stronghold, encampment, town, I'm not sure what it was, was burnt to the ground. All the women and children, livestock possessions had been carried away by who? That ancient enemy of Israel that Saul had refused to wipe out, the Amalekites. Those very people that Saul was unwilling to wipe out were the ones that came and destroyed that place of David's. So here we pick up the story. It says this. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept, I bet, until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever felt like that? It's like, it's 
like the situation is so tough. I just, I don't have any more power to actually feel sad. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved or bitter. Every man for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That word there for distress literally means to be hemmed in. And you know, I feel like as, as people, we've often experienced things like this, situations like this, where, where there seems to be no way out. How many of you have experienced that? And I know those of you who haven't raised your hands, you're like, oh, she's going to take my money if I do, I don't know. Because I feel like we've all experienced times like that when when the situation is such that you start thinking of solutions, you start thinking of ways, and you realize, no, that can't be. No, we can't do that because of that. We can't do that. And it's like every opportunity of escape is taken from you. You feel hemmed in by the enemy. You feel hemmed in by circumstances. You feel hemmed in by your responsibilities. And there's often a sense of hopelessness that come to, can come to your heart, and you can easily just say, oh, well. Oh, well, just let it happen. Let me just give up. Maybe you can think of a solution, but, but in your heart you realize, oh, you know what, I don't think I have what it takes to get through this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And at the same time, you just end up giving up. Well, David was facing just such a time. But it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. What's so interesting about that word, it literally means that he overpowered himself. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? You know what? We have some examples of how David strengthened himself, like literally what he did. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 10, he says this, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. We are caught in the schemes he devises. Can you feel that hemmed-in feeling he's feeling? But he goes on and here is what he's doing. He's strengthening himself. He says, But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Can you see what he did? He didn't deny the problem. You know, he didn't just pretend it didn't exist. He says, Lord, I'm in a terrible bind. This is a terrible situation. But then, guys, this is the really, really important thing. He told himself the truth. He didn't let his circumstances dictate to him what was true or not. Gosh, it might have felt true to him in that moment that there was no hope that there was nothing that could be done, that he may as well lie down and die and let those people stone him. He's lost his wives, his children. They've all lost everything. His credibility as a leader is shot. I mean, easily he could have said, you know what, it's true. I've messed up beyond 
redemption. Pick up your stones, give it to me. And I think sometimes we do that to the enemy. It's like, yes, you're right. You're right. There's no way forward. I really am that terrible bad person that these circumstances are telling me. I really, there really is no future for me. So just give me your best shot. But David didn't do that. He, he acknowledged those things and he said, but, but God, but God, the miracle working God of my fathers is here. And he indeed is a father to the fatherless. He indeed is a protector of those who are weak. He makes place for victims. He cares what happens. And though I can't see a solution, there is a solution. So the first way that we need to have courage is we need to have courage to tell ourselves the truth. Just in case you don't have some truths to tell yourself, let me give you some. Let me put some swords in your hand that you can fight with. And the first thing is that the Bible tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a nice theological saying, but let me tell you about it. It means that the minute you surrendered your life to Jesus, he put inside of you righteousness. And that's not just do good, nice, sweet, pie in the sky, niceness. The righteousness of God is a fiery, strong commitment to truth. It means that he, he put inside of you capacity to overcome. He put inside of you the ability to do what you could not do on your own. And when you're facing corruption, discord, hatred, there is a place that you can access in your own soul that is not because of your goodness, not because of your righteousness, but it's a gift from God, a, a place where you can rise up and say, no, but God in me is able. God in me is able. There is a presence of God in me that will give me wisdom when I need it, will give me truth when I need it, will give me courage, ability when I need it. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What does that mean? It means that you have the power to change the world. You have the power to change your environment. That your words matter. That when you speak, like salt changing the flavor of food, your words change the flavor of the environment. When you say to your friends, Oh my word, I see Jesus in you. Do you know what your words actually create capacity for them to receive Christ? When you stand up in your workplace and say, no, we can do this better. There's a, there's a better way. Then your, your, your words create an avenue for God to come and move. When you stand up and love in your family when there's chaos all around, you change the atmosphere and you move your family from a place of abusiveness to a place of life. We have a good, holy and powerful father. You understand that demons flee from you. Must I tell you why? Not because you're powerful, large and have big muscles. Because when you stand up for righteousness and truth in your environment, your dad stands up behind you. 
when you speak truth, God undergirds those words with power because you're his son, you're his daughter, and he's unwilling to let you be there on your own. He's a good, powerful, available, and present dad who is more committed to your success than you are. And before the situation happened, he'd already worked out a solution. 2,000 years ago, when Christ died on the cross, he made a decree that there would be no time when a person was without help. Because he, through Jesus Christ, is always available as a good father to you. Your opinion matters, your actions influence, and your obedience to God changes things. The story goes on and it says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So what did Jesus Jesus do? Jesus died on the cross. We know that. (laughs) What did David do? David... He had strengthened himself in the Lord. He had told himself the the truth. And now he went to seek God. You know, one of the most important courages you will need is the courage to wait. To not rush in with your own solutions immediately. But the courage to wait on God, to seek him and to find his solutions. John 15 verse 4 says this. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, branches on vines, I've never been one, but I assume this to be true. They don't hang there on the branch and think, Oh my word, I have to produce fruit. Let me try really, really hard to produce fruit. They produce fruit by virtue of two things. Their connection to the vine so that um, water and nutrients are flowing through the vine and through the branch to them. And they bear fruit by the virtue of their genetics. It's who they are. It's like... If they stay connected to the vine and the life of the vine flows into them, they will produce fruit. They won't have to try. By nature of who they are and being in connection to the vine, it will happen. And you know, sometimes I feel like we're trying so hard to be good people. (laughs) And it's like, if I could just be good, then God would love me or I will be more blessed or I will be have more from God but in essence what we're doing is we're separating ourselves from the vine and saying let me produce fruit so that God will say I can be in the vine but it doesn't work that way around first you're in the vine first you committed to staying in him being nurtured by him the life of Christ flowing through you and in that place a natural consequence is fruitfulness he has an interesting thing after David had sought the Lord and found out from him what he should do. 
I want you to understand this. This is the vast wilderness of Judea. There is nothing there. This marauding band of Amalekites that had stolen everything, had headed off into the wilderness. There was no clue which direction they had gone. In order for David to find them would have been finding a needle in a haystack. But lo and behold, as they set out, they find an Egyptian. It says there, and they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. This Egyptian had been a slave on the Amalekites and he'd escaped. Hating his old masters, guess what he did? He just told David exactly where they were and exactly what was going on. Do you think that that was a coincidence? You know, when you seek the Lord and you stay grafted into the vine, coincidences just seem to happen. Things seem to just organize themselves to give you the right information, to give you what you need to be successful. It goes on and says, Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. You know why I love this? Because David stuck out in the wilderness with no title or position in the nation. Was doing what the previous king refused to do. Wiping out the Amalekites. What was he doing? He was behaving like a king. We all are going to need the courage to move forward into the destiny that God has for us. And that means when God comes that we are found doing the things that kings do. And in David coming and wiping out the Amalekites, what was he saying in his heart? It's whether anyone calls me king, whether I am ever acknowledged as king, I will obey my Heavenly Father, and I will do the things that kings do. Here's the wild thing. As he was wiping out the Amalekites, the Philistines were fighting with Israel, and guess what was happening? Saul, his nemesis, died. In one fell swoop, God gave David the crown because he found a man that would do all that he had asked And you know, when we find ourselves in, in difficult circumstances, let us be found. Whether we have the title, whether people ever acknowledges, acknowledge us, let us be found doing the things that kings do, that sons of God do, that daughters of the Most High God do. Let us be found carrying the nobility of our kingdom. Let us be found demonstrating the nature of his kingdom. Let us be loving well. Let us love tirelessly and lead fearlessly. As I was doing research for the sermon, I, I just felt inspired to look up Nelson Mandela. Do you know what he spent his time doing in prison? Remember, he was in prison for 27 years. 
I mean, what would you do if you had been leading a, a revolution in a nation to bring about righteousness and justice and you were jailed and you knew you were going to spend a terminally long time there, maybe never be released? I think many of us would have just sat down and gotten depressed. Did you know that in prison he organized something called a prison university where all the prisoners would share their, their expertise with all the other prisoners so that they all could raise their standard of education? He studied Afrikaans. <laughs> he studied Afrikaans. So that he could come out of prison and lead a divided nation and he could lead everyone. He finished working towards his LLB. And so when God came through and answered the praise of a nation, he was to be found doing the things that presidents do. And he was ready to stand in the victory that God gave him. Paul, who was also in prison, the Apostle Paul, he said this while in prison, not knowing whether he would live or die. He said this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's courage in action, church. That's saying, no matter what happens, I'm going to be found doing the things that sons and daughters of the Most High God do. I'm trusting that we will have the courage to tell ourselves the truth. We will have the courage to wait on God. We will have the courage to move forward in obedience. And this will cause us to thrive in life. Amen. Lord, I thank you for each person here. Lord God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. I feel like many of you are facing challenges where there is a challenge on your identity. There's a challenge on, on who you will be in that situation. And I'm going to ask if that's you and you feel like you need a dose of Holy Spirit courage. I'm going to ask where you are if you wouldn't mind standing up. I want to pray for you. You need the courage to tell yourself the truth. You need the courage to wait on God. And you need the courage to move forward in obedience. Father, I ask for these people. I'm going to ask you when you're standing, if you would just... Resume a position or assume a position, shall I rather say, that, it, that shows that you're receiving from the Lord. Ministry team, I'm going to ask you, anyone who's a men, member of the ministry team, if you wouldn't just stand up and move around and lay hands on these people and believe for an impartation of the Spirit into their lives. <clears throat> Lord, Lord, we just acknowledge these people. And we acknowledge they have a need for more of your courage, more of your boldness, a greater sense of your victory. And right now I prophesy to each of these souls, you're safe. You belong. God is with you. There is a strong and powerful God that is standing up behind you. And he is roaring like a lion and he's declaring that you belong to him. That you are his. That you are known in heaven. And he is undergirding your words. 
He is backing you. He's backing you. He's backing you. He's backing you. He's backing you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> ah. And you know what the strength of God is like? The Bible tells us that the strength of God is like joy. Joy reveals strength. So right now I just declare that joy is coming on each person. I just declare life, an ability to see good in the future. I just declare, Lord God, a hope coming to those places, a hopefulness, a sense of victory. In Jesus' name, Lord God, I declare to these hearts, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> ah, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That's right. Receive that. I see joy coming into some hearts. Just take that. It's true. It's true, you don't get more by God, from God by being serious about it. You get more by, from God by believing it, taking it as true, assuming that victory is ahead of you. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.